Um, as you've already heard, my name is Esther and I'm part of the key leadership team here at EBI. And this morning I'm going to be rounding up our Recapture Wonder series. And we're going to be looking at the fact that Jesus is victorious. And we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to do that in a little bit. And my hope is that today all of us can recapture our wonder of who Jesus was and still is today. And we're going to be doing this by exploring the fact that I believe, and this is what I believe the passage is saying, that Jesus is glorious, but also that he is victorious. So victorious, what a word that is. I don't know about you, but when I think of that word, I feel like it's a really great, strong powerful word and it brings to images of soldiers and when I was planning this um, Spartacus came into my head and I don't know why because I don't actually know where that's from so apologies if you know and I've just um, well just embarrassed myself there but I also think of um, trophies but it doesn't always have to be quite that grand to be victorious is to win a competition or to overcome a struggle or a difficult problem, however big or small. And we often go through a struggle, actually, to get there. So I wonder when was the last time that you felt victorious? What did you go through to get there? And what did it feel like when you got there? Now perhaps you're, you're sat there and you're thinking, Esther, I don't think I've really felt victorious for quite a long time. But maybe, actually, you're feeling victorious right now because of something that you've gone through and you've overcome. The Bible teaches us that because of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, he is victorious. And we are too, if we choose to accept him into our lives. So I said we're going to read from Revelation. Now, Revelation is the last book in the Bible. And it's a record of a vision that John, who was one of Jesus' disciples, receives from Jesus. And it's quite a complex book. It's a book that's full of imagery, and a lot of this comes from the Old Testament. And we're going to explore just a little bit of these references as we go through the passage, well, as part of what I'm talking about today. So it can be quite confusing. And some of the things that we can read, not today necessarily, but in Revelation, you kind of go, ugh, I don't think I'd want to encounter that or see that. But let's dive in, shall we? So it's chapter one, and we're starting at verse nine. So if you've got your Bibles, get it out. If you've got your phone, if you don't want to do either, the words are going to be up there. And if you can't see them, there's some seats here. So feel free to come and sit a little bit closer. <laughs> but... <laughs> But starting from verse 9, it says this. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. 
And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I'm just going to read two verses as well from chapter 22, which is the last um, chapter of Revelation. It says, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. It's just a little bit in there, isn't it? So um, hopefully by the end of this morning, we'd have understood a little bit more about what we just read. But as a basic summary, this passage is about the fact that the news John received was to be shared. He was told to write it on a scroll. That what he saw was glorious. And it caused him to worship. Now I said that John was a disciple of Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. He'd known him personally. But I bet He never thought he would see Jesus in quite that way. But what John saw was glorious. Jesus is glorious. And what I mean by that is that who Jesus was and who he continues to be is glorious. It's not just about how he looks. It's about who he is. And what we want us to do just um, for the next minute, in in your own mind, in your own heart, is have a think about what Jesus being glorious looks like, sounds like, feels like, or even smells like for you. So just take a minute to think about that. So we're going to explore a bit about this imagery that we've read in this passage. So we read that when John turned around, he saw among the lampstands someone that was like a son of man. Now this phrase is how Jesus at times refers to himself in the New Testament. And that's the bit um, that starts with the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. But actually from... um, my little bit of research, it's not all just been knowledge that I had, I have had to research this, is that it's likely pointing to part of the Old Testament. Now I mentioned there's a lot of Old Testament references and this is just the beginning, um, particularly a book called Daniel, which is in the Old Testament. And what it is saying here and what we can understand is that Jesus is the one to whom the kingdom of the world was given. 
Jesus represents God, but he also represents us as Christians. And that means that he's pretty important. He's a big deal. But we also read about what he's wearing, and we read that he's wearing this robe and a golden sash. And to me, it sounds really majestic. And I'm quite a visual person. And um, one of the reasons I haven't actually put a picture up is because sometimes I think it's nice if we, um, and someone who has these visions or images in our heads, to be able to think what that is for ourselves rather than be told what that's like by someone else. So we have this, um, to me, this majestic robe and golden sash. And it's quite symbolic of what a king would wear, but also what a priest would wear. And amongst that, we get this temple imagery with the lampstands. And in those times, in the Old Testament times, the priest would trim the lamps. He would remove the wick and the old oil. He would refill the lamps with fresh oil and relight those that had gone out. And I think that in the same way, this is what Jesus does for us. He trims off the not-so-good stuff. He refills us with energy and strength which sustains us. And he relights our hearts. He cares for us. We are created anew in him. He guides us. And he does correct us so that we can be light in the darkness. We read that his hair was white as well, white as snow. Now, apologies, but the first thing that came to my head was Dumbledore and then Father Christmas. Um, So I apologise about that, if that offends you. But then I did actually Google Dumbledore, and his hair is a bit dirty and a bit yellow. So Jesus is here way better than that. So have really clean, white um, images in your mind. But again, this imagery is seen in Daniel 7 in uh, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And this is where God is described. And what it's saying here is that these characteristics that they saw God had are also what Jesus has. Jesus' majesty, his purity. um, The color white is often linked to purity. But Jesus' eternal reign. And John would have known this because he would have known the Old Testament. He would have grown up hearing this stuff. Jesus' eyes were like blazing fire. Now, for me, there's something mesmerizing about fire, and I'm, I use this word mesmerizing, I've realized a couple of times in my descriptions. But it's, for me, it's beautiful and it's powerful. Like, you don't want to mess with fire. But at the same time, it, for me, it captivates me, and I can't always tear my eyes away from it. But these eyes that penetrate us are all seeing and all knowing. And it reminded me of films as well where someone's got that laser vision and they can see right through walls and see through things. I kind of think that would be quite cool to have. But what we're kind of seeing here is that Jesus is beautiful but powerful. He knows our hearts and nothing can be hidden from him. But he loves us at the same time. Even if our hearts aren't in the right place, that doesn't stop him from loving us. And I think, I think that's quite amazing, actually. We read that his feet, like bronze, were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Now, when you put metal in a furnace, it's purified and refined. And I think, again, in the same way, Jesus came to purify us and refine us. Again, for me, when something glows, I think it's mesmerizing. And the person of Jesus should capture us and mesmerize us. We should just want to... Look at him and see him glowing and purifying us. 
One of my favorite um, bits is how it says that his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Now for me, a waterfall immediately came to mind. It's loud, it's powerful, and it's something that you take notice of. And again, I think in the same way, Jesus' voice is the one that we should be taking notice of. Again, at the same time, it's a beautiful thing. Like I was thinking this morning, when have I ever seen an ugly waterfall? I don't think I have. But this next bit of imagery is one that does make me go a little bit, Ugh. out of his mouth, a sharp, double-edged sword. Hmm. What is that about? Again, if we think, um, we go back to the Old Testament in a book called Isaiah. And what it's saying here, is what I understand for it to be saying, is again, it's alluding to Jesus being this all-powerful, almighty person who has the authority to judge. But on the other side of this sword, Jesus is gentle, he is loving, and he sustains us. Jesus is able to hold these things in perfect balance. And finally, we read that his face is like the shining sun in all its brilliance. Now, the sun isn't something you want to look directly at. It's too intense. But at the same time, it is beautiful. I keep using the same words. I need to probably get a thesaurus. Um, and it's powerful. Like, it's just, you know it's there. You know, again, what the sun can do. But we may not always be able to feel the sun's presence, especially if it's behind a cloud. But we know it's there. The sun is always there. And again, it's the same with Jesus. Even if we can't feel his presence, even if we don't feel that we can see him, the truth is that Jesus is always here with us. So I'm going to just pause again. And what I would love for us all to do is to take another minute and think again, having reread that imagery. What does Jesus being glorious look like, feel like, sound like, smell like to you? Has it changed? When John had this vision, he'd been exiled because of his loyalty to Jesus. But what he saw caused him to worship. The passage tells us that John fell at his feet as though dead. He experienced shock and awe and wonder and probably a little bit of terror. But I love what we read next. is that Jesus placed his right hand on John and comforted him saying, Do not be afraid. In the same way, Jesus does this to us. Jesus is glorious. He's able to hold his authority, his power, and his judgment, as well as his love and generosity in perfect balance.
And it's this, this is what led him to be victorious. Jesus is victorious. And that is some truth that I just really want us to hold on to. So as a recap, to be victorious is to win a competition or overcome a struggle or difficult problem, no matter how big or small. And actually, we do often have to experience defeat before we become victorious, and that is hard. And so I don't know what you thought of when I asked you that question earlier, but I'm going to share about a time when I felt victorious. And this was quite recent. This was just um, a couple of weeks ago. And me and a couple of other people from this church, I'm not going to say any names, but not direction. Um, we signed up and did a fitness competition called the Bristol Fitness Games. It's as bonkers as it sounds. And um, I'm someone I like exercise. I'm one of those annoying people that will get up and do exercise just because I can and I like it. But this competition meant I had to actually train properly I had to lift heavier weights than I've lifted before. I had to do exercises that I don't normally do because they're hard. So I had to really put myself in a position where I risked failure, where I was pushing my body to limits it hadn't been before. That mentally, I was really having to dig deep and believe that I could do this and that I actually wanted to do it, which was, I think, the hardest thing of I've actually signed up and paid to do this. Why am I not getting paid? Um, but it, it took me out of my comfort zone. I risked failure. And, and that was a big thing. Like, I don't think anyone likes failure. No one likes defeat. But here we were, putting ourselves in a position where it was highly likely. And, and on the day... We, I feel really proud of ourselves. We worked so hard. And whilst we didn't win, so we didn't kind of tick that bit of the definition, we didn't win the competition, but I feel for all of us, we overcame that struggle and that difficulty to get there. We turned up on the day and we worked so hard. We overcame that physical and mental struggle. And at the end, despite being exhausted, I can, I can say for me, I was absolutely elated. And anyone who saw us the next day and saw us hobbling around will know that we did work hard. Um, but it was an amazing experience, so much so that we are going to do it all again in September. So um, be praying for us, because we're going to go through all these emotions again. Um, and so for me, that, that's just one example of when I felt victorious. And it made me think, well, what does it mean then for Jesus to be victorious? Jesus tells John in this passage that he is the living one. He was dead, but now he is alive forever and ever. Jesus was the one who was slain, yet sits on the throne and reigns. Jesus was thought to have been defeated. The people that killed him on that cross thought that they had won. They thought that he was dead. But that wasn't the end of the story. Jesus rose again. He was and is victorious. The passage goes on to tell us that Jesus says, Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. Now, John would have known exactly what was meant by that. But this isn't necessarily the kind of thing that we talk about much today. So what Hades, Hades in the ancient Greek religion was known as the God of death and the underworld. 
and it's believed to be the place where human souls go after death. Now, this may be the first time that you've heard this, and I'm not going to go into it today, but I'd encourage you to talk to someone about it, look it up a little bit, understand what that is for yourself. But what I take from this is that Jesus is reminding John that neither death nor Hades was able to hold him. Not even the underworld, this unseen world, could hold Jesus. Jesus rose gloriously. And he has authority and power over both those things. And that isn't just good news for Jesus. This is good news for us too. This is where we can really rejoice and celebrate in this. Because through Jesus, we too have overcome death and Hades, which means that death is not final for us. We will live free with Jesus after death if we choose to accept him into our hearts and our lives. Jesus says that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He was there when God created the world and he will be here at the end when he comes again. Jesus isn't going anywhere. And it could be said that the ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus mark the point in history where evil lost its grip on the world. Now we know that evil is still kicking and screaming, but it won't go on forever. And that's why on the cross, Jesus was able to say, it is finished. Jesus is victorious. Now the book of Romans, which is in the New Testament, says this. The death he died, which is referring to Jesus, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is good news. Jesus has destroyed our sin, destroyed the power of death and made us alive in him. Our wounded relationship with God has been remade into something glorious, alive, freeing, joyful, intimate and beautiful. This is the truth. This is Jesus. So what do we do about all of this? that I have shared in a very short space of time. Maybe this is the first time you've heard this. This is the first time you've heard about Jesus. I want you to know that no one is beyond redemption. That the hurtful things we feel or we say or we think or we do is no match for God's determination and ability to reconcile us to himself, to ourselves and to others. All we need to do is accept that offer of reconciliation by accepting that we have done things that are hurtful and just saying sorry for that and receiving Jesus into our life, that free gift that he has for us. Maybe you have heard this before. What we see from the passage is that John had to act. As followers of Jesus, we need to act. John turned around when he heard Jesus' voice. And in the same way, we need to keep looking and turning towards Jesus. This is not a passive thing. This is an active thing that we have to actively do. It's also about sharing Jesus with others. John had to write this vision on a scroll and send it to the churches. The good news about Jesus 
is to be shared. But finally, and I think this is one of the hardest ones for me, is to worship Jesus no matter what. John was in exile when he wrote this, yet he chose to worship Jesus. Jesus is so worthy of our affections. May we join in with the angels and echo this line on repeat. Worthy is the lamb who was slain.